0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Schulman
1: and I'm Marie Vigouroux. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural season 6, episode 13, Unforgiven. Let's get this show on the road. Okay, hold on, so before we get started, we have a very final reminder for everybody that we're going to be hosting a live watch on June 28th for all of our patrons, all of the tears, and we're going to be watching The Man Who Would Be King. So if you want to attend this live watch and be there when Drew is going to be watching this iconic episode for the first time, all you need to do is become a patron or be a patron already and register for the event. And all of the details are available on Coffee and Patreon. So head over to carryingwayward.com and register now before it's too late.
0: Again, I reiterate, I have no idea what is going to happen or is coming or is going on I have thrown out insane predictions just for the hope that maybe I guessed right again. But hey, if you're already joining the Patreon, be sure to come join the Discord as well because you can ask me questions about my crazy predictions (laughs) and have some fun conversations on the subject and be there to look at screenshots that will be taken of me when I'm flabbergasted by Gene getting married to the ghost of Crowley. There we go. Dean marries Crowley's ghost. That's my prediction. Don't ask me how Crowley becomes a ghost, even though he's a demon and he's already dead. But he becomes a ghost somehow and he's good and Dean marries him. It's a whole thing.
1: It's a different version of Casper. <laughs> All right. So what about this episode, Drew? What did you think about it?
0: Uh, you know what? I think I got so like heavily invested in like the mystery aspect of it that I really like had to like really revisit it for a critical analysis. Literally, it is an episode that involves them with, like, a board with a, with a I, I say red string. They use just, like, generic, like, you know, uh, string, which was like, you know, yeah, fitting of Dean. He wouldn't go all out for the good stuff. But, like, the episode literally needed a, like, mystery board. And I felt that was, like, required. It was a good mystery. And upon reflection, I have issues with the episode in a weird way, but I did like it.
1: This is one of those that we did watch with our patrons, so there was definitely a lot of fun conversation going on there. I mean, I don't know if it was fun conversation, but it was definitely interesting conversation and heartbreaking at the same time.
0: Laughs were had while we were all very scared. Yes,
1: there you go, exactly. (laughs) So how about we get us, uh, you get us started with a recap.
0: In this episode, we have uh, a case that's being brought back that it turns out Sam had already dealt with Samuel. So now he's back in the town dealing with a case he can't remember. And then Dean is all like, we shouldn't be here. And Sam's like, no, I want to solve this case greedily because is, everything's about me and I need to solve mysteries because I can't have the unknown because I'm a perfectionist. And he gets too involved. And we find out how insanely awful Solo Sam was during Solo Sam's Sexy Summer. And then it turns out Dean was right. Sam shouldn't have stayed because the whole thing was a trap for him. And even though they... Save the day, air quotes. I have a lot of questions about what happens at the end of this episode. It turns out the thing you kept hinting at happened, and Sam scratched a bit too much of that wall, literally like 24 hours after getting a soul back, and hell is leaking through.
1: Time. I was right. <laughs> I love how I took that away <laughs> from your recap.
0: <laughs> you were always right, so it's an important point to bring up. I just say it more often.
1: I mean, it's not like you really fought me about this, right? You know, it's one of those things where it was like, no, obviously, this is a bad idea. But anyway.
0: This was the most Chekhov's ass gun to ever be a Chekhov's gun.
1: (laughs) All right, let's go into the long game and fill in some blanks. So, in "Clap Your Hands If You Believe," we talked with Chris and Jeremy about how, like that episode, basically showed us like a funny version of Sola Sam, but that in different circumstances it could be a lot more dark. And this episode here is doing exactly that.
0: So, okay, this episode did something really weird to me, and I'll try to like we'll get we'll get into it more in story time. But this episode keeps doing things that I feel like are wrong. What I'm kind of impressed by. It. Like, I feel like giving us this version of Soul of Sam after seeing last week's version of Soul of Sam is such a jarring difference that it's like, how could this be the same character? And I would normally sit here and be a little cynical and say like, this is just poor writing, but I genuinely feel like this might be really good writing actually and really good development in the sense that even without a soul, Sam is still learning from Dean and from his surroundings and being around more people, that even just his ability to fake being a real person or, like, be a little more casual in his soullessness, we did see an evolution of soulless Sam from stone-cold killer, uh, you know, whoring around to, I mean, still getting around, but being a little more comedic and fun and a little more lighthearted. Like, he's starting to pick up on things, even if he can't appreciate them himself, he can pick up on those cues.
1: I hadn't really thought about it that way because to me, like, it was always like the two sides of the coin. Like, of course, if you're not going to be running for your brother in a cornfield to try to save him from an alien abduction, you're also not going to have a lot of feelings about like strangers that you're trying to quote unquote save. But, but I appreciate what you're saying here, that it, it, especially the part when you say that. Uh, He was always learning from Dean and he really needs Dean in order to be his moral compass.
0: Like when you say, I don't care about something, there's the like, I don't care. And you can kind of joke about it and like laugh it off. And then there's the, I don't care that comes across like, wow, I don't want to talk to this person anymore. There's the, I don't care about these people. Let me murder them in cold blood versus I don't care that Dean's being abducted. Let me make jokes about the third, but like, you know, close encounters of the third kind while I order a beer in a bar.
1: To me, that's more of a critical, like, conversation. You know what I mean? Like, that's, imagine if if the the, what was going on in Clap Your Hands, if you believe, was, like, not treated comedically. It could have been really, really dark also. But they chose to go with a more comedic approach for a lot of reasons, I suppose.
0: This is one of those scenarios where it's, like, I'm trying to find where, like, Where is that line between, like, critically, it was writing choices versus, like, this might actually make sense within the lore a little bit?
1: I think it's both, personally. The brothers are quoting John Winchester to each other. Like, they're sort of quoting from some kind of sacred text uh, to decide whether or not to continue with this case. And I will quote the lines, Dad said never to use the same grapple twice. And Dad also always said finish what you start. I hated that scene (laughs) so much. (laughs)
0: The entire time I was waiting with them, one of them to go, like, but why should we listen to his advice? He was awful.
1: Jonathan Winchester. That's enough. (laughs) So we also find out that while on a case, Sam basically slept with an entire town's worth of women, uh, which sort of begs a question, for me anyway, of, like, how many times did he do that over the year that he was hunting without a soul and without Dean?
0: I mean, like, that definitely raises question number one of, like, This was one isolated case that was maybe two or three days, and he definitely scored multiple times. But also raises so many questions about, like, how safe was he being? Like, you know, who were these people? Like, there are some little Samlings out there, I'm just saying. (laughs) And hopefully they are more soulful than Daddy was.
1: I also want to highlight one thing that Samuel says about hunting and how, you know, when hunters are young, packing up and going is great. And then he says, when Deanna got pregnant, we didn't know what we were going to do, which hints that Mary wasn't a planned pregnancy. So like neither Deanna or Samuel had any plans to like get out of the life, as we know, because she was raised into the life. And so they basically raised her to be a hunter in order to be able to continue hunting without too much disruption. And the thing is that I got a lot of flack when I highlighted that part of Mary's life, like particularly how like her childhood and adolescence were probably incredibly traumatic, but I I honestly don't think that I'm that far off.
0: While I totally agree that given the context, Mary was an unplanned child, I think there was a part of them that was always planning to have kids and to raise them as hunters. Like, it seems like a family thing on that side. Like, they just, Mary was a surprise, but they were going to, when they were ready, settle down, hunt more locally, and raise kids.
1: I mean, sure, I feel like that's maybe a bit of a stretch, but I I can totally see it, especially given, like, the, the family dynamics that we see within the wider Campbell clan. The Monster of the Week is yet another monster that shouldn't be in the United States.
0: Are we appropriating other cultures and, you know, taking what we shouldn't be taking, which is the colonial way of filmmaking, apparently? Like, this is, like, genuinely, I am curious, is this part of a larger picture? Is this a, because the, uh, I want to call it the hellmouth, but the gates of, uh, purgatory were opened? Is this, like, a beacon for monsters? I... It just, it has a very Buffy Hellmouth vibe to it.
1: I agree. I fully agree. I fully, fully agree, actually. Let's call it the Hellmouth. <laughs>
0: Claimed. Um, but, like, does it, A, being opened and even the, like, steps towards opening it, which kind of got the alphas out of hiding a little more and kind of ramped up activity and, you know, like, we were seeing things like the werewolves that were able to transform, not during the full moon, per se, like, the supernatural energies are heightened is that drawing creatures from other cultures into the Americas to be near this beacon. So like, while I don't like the appropriation of culture, I can only, again, I haven't researched all these creatures much. A lot of what I know about them from just passing interest, they haven't been particularly detailed enough to really give me any kind of like, one way or the other with them. But like, I hope they're doing some level of justice behind the scenes, even though I'm sure they're not. Uh, but, like, that part aside, I'm very intrigued by this, like, because it's been a few times now, even, like, ones they've mentioned, like, in passing, I use air quotes, I don't know why they're, like, very briefly they mentioned, like, I think they said it was a Naga, the, the snake women from uh, Greece. Like, we're we're seeing things from around the world coming together, and I'm guessing not for good.
1: Mm, maybe it's the call of the hell mouth. Samuel makes a Star Trek reference.
0: Yes, this was just a really fun uh, moment during the live show because we actually, someone someone looked it up for us really quickly and we have so many amazing listeners who are so much better at like quick Google searches when we're just shooting this shit during live watches. But that like canonically and time-wise, it would make sense that he would have been watching the original series of Star Trek and that the red shirts were like canonically a thing then. Uh, so calling Roy another red shirt, I think it's just like a beautiful little bit of like, a little little, like gem of hidden info on Samuel like oh he was a Trekkie
1: I think something that I particularly like about it is that this is something that Dean does all the time the pop culture references
0: I was about to say like literally it's cute to see like Sam and Samuel they're both nerds but like really it's more of a Dean thing
1: It's 100% more of a Dean thing We get a little bit more information about how Sam feels about whether or not Soulless Sam is, in fact, Sam, a question which we have hotly debated on this podcast this season. So he says, uh, let's be crystal clear, okay? It was me. So debate over. (laughs) And finally, the thing that I said would happen did, in fact, happen. The wall in Sam's head broke, and Sam remembers the cage. We got two, two, zero, two episodes. That's all.
0: Honestly, we got an episode and a half to be, like, real. I also, again, like, I understand logically there was probably several weeks even between those two cases of him getting his soul back and then tricking Cass into giving the info. And this case, they may have even worked cases in between those times and not just been, like, road tripping and catching up. But, like, from a viewer standpoint, it literally feels like he was, like, told by death. Don't you scratch at it, it. And he was like, I won't do it, death. And then immediately walking to the other room. Eh, scratch, scratch, scratch.
1: Absolutely. All right, let's dive into this episode.
0: Let's go story time.
1: Our theme this week is forgiveness, which has Old English and Germanic roots. And it used to mean like to give up desire or power to punish. And today we tend to think of it as like to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone.
0: The term has broadened, so it's softened the impact, because like the power to punish versus stop feeling angry towards someone. It's a sliding scale, essentially. Yes,
1: pretty much. (laughs) I think it's interesting because I think we're going to see a little bit of everything in this episode. So I think I think we'll have some fun with this theme, even though it, it is super obvious because the episode title is Unforgiven.
0: Sometimes the showrunners and the show writers need to like bonk the list the viewer on the head with just like, here is the point we're trying to make. Sometimes they do it to us and we have to take the bait.
1: So let's get us started with Sam, because I mean he is the main character of this episode. And so let's uh let's get started with him. I think one option would be to go like th- through all of the terrible things that like Sola Sam has done in this episode and debate like which ones are or aren't forgivable. I guess I was kind of wondering if we could talk about some bigger things and like wider questions on forgiveness. Like we can call this a meditation.
0: I want to dive a little bit into like the very specifics of Sam, but then I want to like broaden it into a larger conversation. Sola Sam really embodies the sense of like that raw emotionless that He's just like he's a willingness to simply kill or you know, try to kill and fail these others these other men who were abducted and then the like sleeping around with like every woman in this dang town uh some of which were married I feel like are both designed to seem like these are two terrible things he did and like especially thinking about modern culture still to this day if Sam were a woman and had done this with a bunch of stuff around a bunch of men there would be a lot of shame and guilting and slut shaming. And it's you know not fair because that isn't a thing we should be doing. I like almost feel like the show forgot to do it. Like they were trying to make it seem like it was a bad thing, but just never really like followed up on it. And like the show weirdly went wrong with Sam here and let him get away with sleeping around because it's not something he should be ashamed of. Uh, I mean, being a home wrecker not a great thing, but it does take two to tango. I'm not victim-blaming. I'm just saying every party is equally uh, at fault here. While they make such a big deal about the thing he actually did wrong, that he actually is seeking forgiveness for, ultimately, this episode, which was the killing of Roy, or attempted murder of Roy, followed by the actual murder of Roy, and the attempted murder of several other men who are presumably still spider people out there somewhere that they just left and said goodbye to. They weirdly left the sexual side of things kind of, like, fall by the wayside. Which I feel like was them just, like, not caring versus trying to say that it was okay. So, like, weirdly, they did good by omitting it, but I don't think it was intentional. But I just wanted to, like, very quickly bring that up.
1: So, I think the first thing that we need to deconstruct here, or at least name you know, sleeping with married people as like a bad thing, homewrecking, etc. Like that's all within the framework of strict monogamy, right? And that this behavior would not be considered bad in other types of frameworks, right? And again, like no judgment on either. It's I'm really just kind of naming that and the fact that there are absolutely I, I agree with you that there would have been a lot more shame put on Sam if Sam had been Samantha, for example, does mean that we are operating within both a monogam- a strictly monogamous and a misogynist framework, okay? I think it's not, like, this is not news to anybody, but I do think it's important to kind of mention that. Second, what you said also makes me think of season five of Buffy. After Buffy's sexual affair with Spike, one of the things that she finds, or actually during it, one of the things that she finds particularly difficult to deal with is how dirty she feels for sleeping with him. Of course, like there's a difference that like Buffy does have a soul versus Sam not having a soul. But I I think that there is a difference here in how in the shame that is associated with sexuality for men and women in media. And when I say men and women, I should be more precise and say white men and women. In, in media. So I think that you're making a really interesting point, but that we just needed to clarify a couple of things here.
0: I'd like to continue your journey into this more metaphorical, wider view of forgiveness.
1: Right. So I think the first thing for me is like the relationship between guilt Like, between feeling guilty and asking for forgiveness, because I think that in this episode, like, there's a couple of things at play. The first one is that Soulless Sam doesn't feel guilty. He doesn't feel sorry. And he really doesn't ask for forgiveness. Like, he could not care less. But Sam does. Regular Sam. He feels immense guilt. He is sorry. And he does ask for forgiveness.
0: Sam's, like, moving, like, trait, the motivation for this episode is that he truly has a sense of guilt and that he owes this town the time and safety he failed to offer before. The issue here is, I feel like, part of this is Sam using that as an excuse, the the guilt that is, to continue working on the case because he wants to dig more into it and kind of solve this, like, personal lack of memory for him. I, I know we'll get into it more later, but it feels like, yes, he truly is sorry for what has happened to this town and the part that he has played in it. But I feel like there's a part of him that is using the seeking forgiveness as an excuse to stay longer and do more research and like find more answers for himself.
1: I think we've talked about this before at the beginning of season five, I believe. Sam's not great at asking for forgiveness and he hasn't really grown in that respect. Right. And we'll, we Before we get there, there's another thing that I do want to mention, though, and it's that, and it's something that I feel very strongly about, and it's the fact that saying that you're sorry doesn't automatically mean that the person in front of you should forgive you. And I know that, like, many of our listeners either are deconstructing or have deconstructed Christianity, and I have to say that in in my experience, I wasn't raised in Christianity, in Catholicism specifically, but I was raised with Catholic values. And so when came time for me to deconstruct, I had nothing to deconstruct because I didn't know what was Catholicism and what was just the way that I was raised. So that's a whole other story. But anyway, in my experience, like I was raised that if someone tells you that they're sorry, like you have to accept their apology and you have to forgive them or like you're the one in the wrong. And that really messed me up in all sorts of ways because like, I was never really able to have any feelings of resolutions, like after an apology, because I just hadn't forgiven the person. But, you know, I said that I did. And so like, people would then get mad when I would bring up old arguments. And so as I got older, I sort of realized that like, for me anyway, forgiveness isn't what I was taught through the Christian understanding of it.
0: Obviously, very different upbringing on the religious level for both of us. But I really feel like it's one of those, like, I choose the term dumb child logic in that, like, you make the kids say sorry, but not understand why they're apologizing and what it means to them to accept it or not. And, like, it's truly just a practice to keep kids from, like, bickering or holding grudges because you've basically said, like, I'm an adult. This is a fight you're having. You're wrong. You're right. Apologize. It's over. We never talk about it again. And there's no actual resolution. It was truly just a practice of, again, keeping kids in line. Uh, And I feel like that also made apologies, like on a personal level, not as meaningful because I knew if I did something wrong, I just said I'm sorry and I carried on my day. And it took growing up properly and like learning from experience that, oh, that's not how that works. The world doesn't work that way. You need to mean things
1: could not agree more because this is literally where I'm going with like the th- my third observation when it comes to Sam and forgiveness an apology should be for the person that you're apologizing to not to unburden yourself and I think we can both agree that Sam fails like miserably in that respect at the end of the episode he tells Brenda that he's sorry but I- I'm not sure how much of that is like for his own benefit Or for Brenna's because like during the live watch, we talked about that a little bit and how because Sam grew up in an unstable environment, he probably learned early on that if he was if he messed up and he immediately said he was sorry, even if he wasn't really, then he would get like out of trouble much faster. Like think of apologizing in a way to like appease John or even Dean, actually, because When you think about it, like, again, children should not be raising children in part because they just don't have the emotional maturity to do that, right? And so Sam might have learned just to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, when it was just a way to kind of, like, get out of trouble.
0: So I feel like Sam asks for forgiveness twice for this same act. The first time when he is in jail with, uh, you know, and Brianna lets him go and basically he's like, I'm sorry. He doesn't know what he did. He doesn't know what he's apologizing for. He's just trying to curry favor. And then at the end of the episode, he asks again, and rightfully, she just slams a door in his face because you kind of fucked up here, Sam. Albeit soulless, Sam, you didn't help.
1: I mean, this this was unforgivable, in my opinion. Like, I don't I don't really foresee Brenna ever forgiving Sam or I mean, you know, what whatever. But like, it's it's not really something that is easy to forgive.
0: I think the issue here, though, is the, the apology that Sam is offering in that moment when he's trying to, like, get that like get her to stop and turn around and listen to him, while I imagine the conversation that could have been may have been one where he could properly explain himself and ask for forgiveness properly, his just trying to throw a sorry at her as fast as he can to get a, like, get out of jail free card so he can leave this town feeling guilt free was not what he needed. Not what
1: she deserved. So if we can move on to Dean briefly, uh, because I don't really have that much to say about Dean in this episode. I think that Dean is a really good supporting character for Sam uh, because he's going through so much that he really needs Dean to be there as, like, his unwavering support, let's put it that way. I think that for Dean, forgiving Sam isn't really a question, you know, because, like, I guess this is kind of where I think it's important to note how easy it is to forgive somebody when they've done something bad to somebody else. Also, like how important it is to remember that unless we're directly harmed by someone's action, it's not really our place to offer forgiveness or to accept apologies. We can see this at an interpersonal level, uh, when one of your friends does something shitty to another one of your friends, or on a more structural level, when somebody with a large platform does something to harm an entire group of marginalized people. If you're not a part of that marginalized group, then it's not up to you to decide whether or not the apology is is adequate.
0: Writing these notes, I got to this point. I was like, oh yeah, Dean is I mean, in Dean this is episode. Dean is in this
1: episode, isn't he?
0: <laughs> I still can't think of anything he does in this episode besides that interview with the one woman whose roommate went missing and the calling Sam when he figures out the whole thing's a trap. Like, really, he's like there for two pieces of exposition, and otherwise he is just like you said, emotional support to sam uh and given all Sam's going through, this it really makes sense that that's what he needs right now, because you know it, you need someone who can understand you, even if it's just so you can figure out what you need to move on to do like it it takes a conversation, a learning experience, and understanding what you've done wrong to ask for forgiveness. And, you know, when the situation is um, not the easiest to explain, i.e. spider demons, it makes sense you need someone in your corner who gets you. But you're right. Dean can support Sam, but not forgive him on behalf of anyone in the situation.
1: In Dean's uh, defense, like he doesn't do that, right? Like he doesn't say like, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's okay. Like he really doesn't do that. And I, I appreciate that. Good job, Dean. I think the furthest he goes is saying, like, it wasn't you. And then Sam is like, no, no, let's be clear. It was me. I think that that was actually handled fairly well.
0: You want to talk about Samuel, which shocked me. Why? Because he's in the episode for all of, I don't know, a flashback or a, like, last time on.
1: He's part of the entire episode, though. Like, in the flashback, but, like, he's there all the time in the flashback. And, like, it let's be very realistic. If anybody else had been there with Sam, this might not have happened that way. Samuel enabled every single decision of Sola Sam.
0: Once you brought up that we should be talking about Samuel, it became very clear we had to.
1: And you can tell that he's not, like, really on board with how Sola Sam is choosing to, like, handle the situation that are presented to him. But, like, he also never speaks up and he never intervenes like it feels like sam is the one driving the car not samuel and so i'm thinking about like the level of responsibility that we think samuel carries and whether or not you think he wishes for forgiveness about this
0: i i genuinely am not sure if he is so far removed from hunting that he's jaded by the whole situation and like looking back at this town he's like yeah Things went wrong, but like we did what we could. Or if there's a part of him that would look back at a situation like that and go like, yeah, no, we we messed up, and we need we did we could have done better. Like I'm really curious to see what Samuel would say about this. But I I think you're right. Like while Sam was clearly the one running the show in this hunt, you know, it it really does kind of like. Say something that Samuel never tried to pull rank or seniority or something and, like, argue. I mean, when someone comes to you and says, listen, I don't think we should help these people. We should just shoot them all in the head. And your response is, raise shoulders and eyebrows and shrug? You're pretty complicit, buddy.
1: We had internal, international trials about that. Like, it's 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 an established fact. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I think that that's what's notable here. It's that Samuel, like, doesn't really ask for forgiveness at any point. And, like, he's not working directly to get the alphas. He's not thinking, like, oh, I'm doing this to try to save my daughter. He's literally just along for the ride while Sam is, like, on a literal rampage of, like, deception and death. And Samuel has his soul. And he doesn't know that Sam doesn't have his... And you can fight me about that later if you want, Drew. But seriously...
0: There's a, there's a disagreement between the two of us. Regardless of you having further knowledge of the show than I do, I expect you to be right 99.9% of the time. So I'm willing to cede this point and just say, he did not know.
1: Just for now, just for this argument, and then then we can move on and we can talk about it well, somewhere. We'll see where things go. But seriously, like, I, I find that it really does not paint a very nice picture of this man. Like... And this is the man, by the way, who raised Mary Winchester. If he's not upset enough at Sam for all of that, like how exactly do you think he raised Mary? Like, because that. It, I'm also watching the Winchesters right now. And so I have a lot of very strong feelings about this. I feel so vindicated.
0: Uh, also, TikTok three times while scrolling last night tried to get me to watch your live and I kept having to leave. Part of me was like debating, just like, going in, muting it and just like saying like, Hi, TikTok won't leave me alone until I say something to you. Bye, and, like, get out. Maybe next time. This is the way he, like, looks at his grandson and goes, this is perfectly fine behavior. I don't need to interrupt or, like, you know, put a stop to this. Talk about John-level parenting, I'm assuming.
1: Ooh, yeah, there you go. This episode was written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin and directed by David Barrett, and it originally aired on February 11th, 2011.
0: David Barrett, I don't recognize the name. Is this his first?
1: Yes, it's his first and only one for Supernatural, actually. Um, he did direct other episodes in like Castle, Once Upon a Time, and The Mentalist. What's in the Hunter's Journal this week?
0: I feel that irritation of a hair or a string caught on the back of my arm. I reach to remove it but find nothing. Feeling fades and leaves me wondering if it was ever there to begin with, or if it was all in my head. The crawl space seems to narrow the further I explore. The catacomb-like walls are dilapidated and crumbling. They may have been straight and 90 degrees to the ground at some point many years ago. Now wooden beams installed to keep it from caving in are themselves buckling and succumbing to the architecture it was meant to protect. Every sound seems wrong out of sync from the world I'm in. I know I'm alone, but certain creeks seem to be too far away to be the floor I'm walking on. The hair on the back of my neck stands and I feel the eyes in the dark spying on me. I reach a point where I don't think I can go any further. I don't even remember why I'm here. What was I after? Who who was I following? There's no light at all. Even my flashlight seems to be fading.
1: I seem to be fading. Oh my goodness.
0: I, I originally kinda had like an arachnophobia moment going on with like the hair on the back of the arm, and it sort of just sort of got away from me. And got a little all encompassing spooky. <laughs> some claustrophobia in there, some paranoia, just all the all the check boxes. What are your thoughts of this week?
1: Well, so we watched this episode with our patrons in May, and the main topic of discussion during and also after the episode was, like, how upsetting it was to see another Black character die after becoming a monster. And it was very reminiscent to us of, like, Gordon. And we've already talked at length about, like, how upset we were about that, so, like, I'm not going to go over all of that again. Um, But clearly, like, this conversation does need to be had again, because, like, Supernatural just gave us another Supernatural special. In their defense, I believe it's the last one from memory, but still, like, I think this is one of those really weird and uncomfortable things to have, like, two nickels about, and I guess what I want to highlight here is that I really wish that the Supernatural cast was more diverse, just overall, so that when a Black person becomes a villain or becomes a monster, like, it doesn't become something for us to focus on because there are just so few Black characters on the screen. Because if there were more Black characters doing all kinds of things on on this show, then it really wouldn't become such a big talking point. But They're so few and far between that finding these parallels is like really easy, really upsetting and really uncomfortable. So I guess I'll leave us all on justice for Gordon, Henriksen and Roy, because they all deserved better.
0: Amen. I think it's just like you said, it's important to remember that though we've discussed it once, it's still an ongoing issue. And it is, you know what, like you say it's the last one. And it's unfortunate it's the last one because there's likely going to be very few black actors cast in the show going forward versus they suddenly get their shit together and start casting more diverse cast that when they do have a character of any ethnicity do anything, it doesn't become a sticking point.
1: This week we have a message from Enye. And before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, this episode showed us Sola Sam's hot girl summer, but what would regular Sam's hot girl summer look like for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hey, Carrying
2: Wayward, my name's Enya, and um, I'm recording from South Africa. Um, I wanted to talk about, not per se the episode, but in regards to the episode, Dream a Little Dream with Me from Season 3. I am well aware that you're in Season 5 at the moment. I already caught up with the podcast, but I wanted to mention just... A cited bit uh, drew you talked about the shosa people and this is just something that was kind of funny to me as a person that lives here it is actually called the isikosa people and i am well aware that most people that do not either live here or grew up with the language cannot do the clicks that is well known in isikosa but it is usually pronounced with kosa if you cannot pronounce the clicks. And it's just something that caught my attention. And I thought it, uh, you'd find it interesting to know how the different pronunciations worked from different countries. And I also really wanted to say thank you for all the effort you put into, I don't know, just the language and its history. As a person that is now going to study ancient historical languages at university, it really gives me some insight to what I'm probably going to be working with. And not just with what it's in my potential university career, but just opening my eyes to being media literate and seeing extra layers that so many people have put effort into, into adding to their art they put into the world. And honestly, this podcast has given me such an opportunity to learn about things I haven't really thought about seeing. I've always found media fascinating. But the way you are, and see, dissecting this show, a show that I only recently started watching, it really gives me inspiration to learn more, not just about media, but the world in general, because of all the effort you put into it. So I really just wanted to comment on that and say thank you for all the effort to the show itself. I unfortunately do not have (laughs) that much to say in regards to the show, because it feels like You say so much that I'm more willing to learn than to add. So thank you for all of that.
0: Anya, thank you for reaching out. Number one, for doing my favorite thing, which is correcting us. Me specifically in this case. For me, that is a learning opportunity. And I am so thrilled to be educated like that. I don't even know how often it comes up on the show, but like I do voice act on the side as well. And in doing so, I am so intrigued by language and vocabularies and the way different cultures speak and dialects. So learning about that from you today is like extra bonus points. And to know that you're going to be studying that, like, can you make a mailing list and just send me like regular updates of cool things you learn about language? Because like, you see how excited I get with Mary's etymology sections that like learning more about language and vocabulary and like ancient languages, like that just... Oh, that is like the little like the the good tingles of the hair on the back of my neck as opposed to my bad ones earlier in my journal. I'm rambling and I want to give Mary a chance to speak because I could seriously sit down and talk about language and vocabulary and dialect and speaking for literal days. And I think Mary believes me when I say that. Uh, So again, just an amazing thank you.
1: Yeah, honestly, Anya, thank you so, so much for taking the time to send us this voicemail. It was incredibly kind of you to do that. One of the things that I study in my own uh, university career is hermeneutics. And a part of that has to do with language, but I don't actually have any formal training when it comes to ancient languages or etymology or anything like that. And doing this exercise of talking about etymology and roots of certain words is actually teaching me so much and helping me be like much more aware of like the words that we use in order to talk about certain things because again like one of the things that i really enjoy doing is like from the words that you're using what are your assumptions about the world like how do your biases whether good or bad or you know again no judgment just like your own baggage basically how does it show up in your language kind of what i've been trying to do here is to further my own knowledge of, <laughs> of language in general. And I wish you so much success in your university career. Best of luck.
0: Yes, congrats and keep up like the communication with us. I- I'd love if you come across anything else in your studies that pertains to language that the show may touch on, like even if it's the slightest tangent, please let us know. I'm like secretly hoping like Oh, are you getting into, like, Enochian? Can you, like, speak to some of the, like, the, the books they talk about and the different, like, spells they do? But, like, I'm getting ahead of myself.
1: Do you know something about Enochian, actually?
0: What do you have to share about it?
1: I looked up a little bit about the story of Enochian. A couple of priests one day that were like, this is Enochian. And it shares, like, a lot of roots or, or like, structural similarities with English. Food for thought about Enochian.
0: Do you have any reflections or calls to action this week?
1: Honestly, the thing that really gave me pause this episode was thinking through Sam's patterns when it comes to apologies. And obviously, I don't like where it lands. And I really wish that he would have shown a bit more growth, especially between like early season five and now. But I also kind of have more empathy for it now. And so I feel called to offer a little bit more grace to people who just expect to be forgiven immediately, even when I'm not ready to forgive them, because I know that that's it could be stemming from trauma. It could also be stemming from just societal expectations. So, yeah, a little bit more grace.
0: There's always the story to be told. While you may be the one in the position to forgive somebody, and to go back to our definition at the beginning of the etymology section of story time, uh, on that sliding scale of um, how much power you lord over someone versus, you know, the ability to give up that uh, control over them, that power over them. It really, like, to me, what it comes down to is the giving someone that space to explain themselves. It doesn't mean you have to forgive them. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them but to at least open up the door when you're ready to allow them in to speak their truth. And if they so choose, ask for forgiveness. And then if you, with enough reflection, choose to, forgive them. And I know I myself, in times when things are tough or difficult, it can be really hard to, like, have that, you know, capacity in you. So just a reminder that just to better reflect on those moments and try to get through them to a point where I can reach a conversation with the other person more quickly.
1: You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a Supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano and hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigo. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas.
0: This week, we'd like to thank Enye for her message. You can find the links to all of our social media and our merch store at CarryingWayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us.
1: And if you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at CarryingWayward.com.
0: Carry on our wayward friends!
1: I think that regular Sam's Hot Girl Summer would look a lot more like hitting the gym a lot like going for runs you know like gym tan laundry kind of thing I think that that would be his hot girl summer he would absolutely love it and I know that that's not exactly what hot girl summer means I don't give a damn like that is what Sam would make of his hot girl summer
0: I love how we are on the exact same page but of completely different books (laughs)